baller's life, plain and simple. You know, ask any baller. If, if you know, you know. The game has changed, but it's still the same. You want it, go get it. Shazam! The inbounds pass comes into Jordan. Here's Michael at the foul line, the shot on Elo. The Bulls win! They win it! Mike, you're honestly telling me that you're top five. Yeah. Top five of all time. No question about it. Booker, this is for the win. Got it. Wow. The ruling on the floor is made basket. You know, one thing's for sure. Over at Valley Sports Plug, you're never going to catch us slipping. First overall pick, the Phoenix Suns select. Three, two, one, yeah. Welcome to Pass the Outlet, episode 11. I'm your co-host, Michael Benjamin, joined as always by my wingman, Chris Patrick. Chris, how you doing tonight, man? Doing good, Mike. Glad to be back. It's been a little while since we've done a live stream. You know, the sun season's over. The NBA season isn't over. And for guys like us, is basketball season really ever over? It's never over. You hit that right on the head, Chris. And we got a lot to get into tonight. Obviously, we're going about obviously we're gonna talk about the sun's early exit and the early offseason craziness we're already seeing. We gotta dive into these conference finals. Just seeing the finish of that Nuggets-Lakers game two. I'm going to talk about the NBA draft. And we got a couple of guys who have been on a tear during the NBA playoffs for the outlet point guard. But before we get started, I want to say thank you to everybody who's joining us or watching back. Make sure you like, comment, and subscribe. You can find us at AZ underscore VSP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok here on YouTube, Valley Sports Plug, as well as Facebook. But Chris, let's get right into it, man. You know we have to start with the Phoenix Suns, and it's been a week, so we've been able to decompress a little bit. We've gone through our emotions, the highs and the lows, and we've already seen a lot of things happening with this team. But we got to go back to that finish in Game 6 on May 11th, where the Suns find themselves in back-to-back years, down by 30 points at halftime and lose 125 to 100. We didn't have DeAndre Ayton. He was out with the rib contusion. Unfortunately, no Chris Paul. He missed the final four games of the playoffs for us with the groin. And we go into an elimination game with the starting lineup of Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Campaign, Landry Shamit, and Jock Landell. First and foremost, Chris. How are you feeling now that it's been a week about the Phoenix Suns and their finish to this 2022-2023 campaign? You know, have had time to think about it, unwind a little bit, but the wounds, they're still fresh. They were deep, and it hurt, man. I mean, what a horrible way to finish a hard-fought season when it was all said and done. I mean, we've talked about the highs and lows the Suns endured, through the regular season and even watching there in the intro you remember all the fun times you have during the regular season and those game winners obviously it's all for one goal to make it to the playoffs and then make it to the finals and win an nba championship and yet again we just we come up a little bit short i mean if there's one thing i can take solace in it's the fact that 
I think three years now in a row, we've been in the playoffs and we fought hard. Um, of course, we had that taste of the NBA finals against the Bucks, but specifically to this, the end of this year, how it happened with unceremoniously being eliminated again in a blowout, just it really, it hurts, man. And it sucks that Chris Paul couldn't play again. Uh, DeAndre Ayton not playing was a surprise to me because I think he finished game five and nobody really knew anything was wrong until the next day when those reports started coming out. So just, just a tough, tough way to finish the season, man. There's really, there's really not much else I can say about it. <sighs> I, I thought that I had decompressed, but now the wounds are coming back. But this was just an odd year, man. It was an odd year coming off of the best season in franchise history, setting the record for most wins, getting blown out in a game seven at home to the Dallas Mavericks. And trying to do a reset off of that, it seemed like it was just an uphill battle for the Suns the entire season. And a lot of that was due to the injuries that piled up super early. I mean, we were seeing guys like Landry Shamit, even Dwayne Washington Jr. early on getting heavy minutes because we just didn't have guys to play. And for them to stem the tide that they did, and still be able to have a top four seed going into the playoffs, you do have to commend that. It's something that, as a Suns fan base, you have to be proud of. But at the end of the day, we did come short of our goal. And I think a lot of that, and we're going to have more discussions as this offseason goes along, is just the unfortunate inability to have Kevin Durant truly join this team and get some good mojo going into the playoffs. I know that he did play the final eight games of the regular season. We, we did sit a bunch of guys in those last four games as well, and we were just kind of coasting and to, to make sure that guys would stay healthy. But him going down with that ankle in his first home appearance, which was supposed to be against the Oklahoma City Thunder, and then he ended up missing about two and a half weeks, I think that really put a chokehold on any kind of true momentum that the Suns could have put together for this playoff run. But we're still hopeful for next year, and we got to get into what we've been seeing so far in regards to this offseason for the Phoenix Suns. I mean, less than 48 hours after that Game 6 loss on May 13th, Monty Williams is fired. Call Matt Ishbia the 48-hour man, dude. I mean, like, he comes in, gets the team, pulls the trigger less than 48 hours for Kevin Durant. After a playoff exit, 48 hours, there goes Monty Williams. And, you know, we've already started to see some things. Uh, uh, Wojnarowski, he said, new owner Matt Ishbia made the decision to fire Williams, who has been the winningest coach in the NBA since 2021. The Suns have a starry but top-heavy roster with little cap flexibility this summer, and the Suns will be competing in the coaching marketplace with Milwaukee and Toronto. So, Chris, I just got to ask you right off the bat, how are you feeling about the Suns letting Monty Williams go? Yeah, man, so much to unpack there. Uh, my initial reaction was good, good riddance. Um, I wasn't a fan of Monty Williams. I've been very critical of him, and of course I know he's – was winning, had a lot of wins. I think what you say most wins since 2021 for any head coach. 
So, I mean, that's an accomplishment in, in itself. Obviously took us to the mountaintop, had us close to tasting a championship. And you can't put all the blame on the coach, right? But if you watched our recaps and you've watched any of our basketball takes, you've seen me criticize Monty Williams' inability to take timeouts at the appropriate times, not challenging calls that should be challenged, but then turning around and challenging calls that shouldn't be challenged, in my opinion. And also just the rotation of guys, trusting his guys for too long, whether it's Abdul Nader or Landry Shamit, it seems to happen every year where some guy gets him a goodie basket or something and he really latches onto them and, and trusts them and gives them a little bit longer of a leash than I think another head coach would have had. So, I mean, now that I've had time to digest it a little bit, and I could be totally wrong here, but I feel like Monty was probably a great player coach in a sense that in practices, in their personal lives, he was a great guy, a great mentor, and a good coach to these guys. But when it came down to game time and needing to win games, he didn't always know how to coach these guys to put them in positions to be successful. And honestly, that might start a little bit with a, with the game plan of it all. I mean, we even saw in, especially in the Nuggets series, just a lot of one-on-one -on -one basketball. And I know that kind of is Devin Booker and Kevin Durant style, but at the end of the day, you got to, I feel like you got to scheme a little bit more, especially when you're going up against the number one seed and potentially the best team in the West, or I think maybe at this point, undoubtedly the best team in the West is they're now up two games to zero on the Lakers in the Western conference finals. I mean, if we were going to get eliminated by a team, I'm, Glad, I guess it was the Nuggets and not the Clippers. That would have been a, a harder sell. But I was a little bit surprised about the swift firing of Monty Williams. I think Ishbia knows basketball a little more than the Suns' previous owner, Robert Sarver. Of course, Ishbia played at Michigan State. He has a lot of connections in the league and knows a lot of basketball guys. And I find it hard to imagine that he didn't or that he made this decision without consulting anybody else. I'm sure he talked to some other people around him and maybe even something he had been thinking about for a while. Obviously you're not going to fire a head coach to a playoff bound team. I mean, I wouldn't anyway, and you're especially weren't going to fire him once the playoffs started, but Ishbia might've, you know, been thinking a while ago, like, Hey, if, unless we win a chance, like championship or bust, if we don't win a championship or make it to the finals, then this guy's got to go. And, and to get bounced out in the second round, I think just made that decision a whole lot easier for him. So I, I'm I'm okay with it. I'm ready to move on from Monty. I wish him all the best. I'm sure he'll get another chance somewhere else and probably end up winning a championship somewhere else because that's just how it goes, right? <laughs> that's the curse of Arizona sports. But, you know, I echo a lot of the same sentiments that you have, Chris. Sometimes Monty struggled with the X's and O's down the stretch and his inability to really make any adjustments throughout games. It did seem like he did a little bit better, specifically within that first series against the Clippers. And then we just were outgunned. Let's just be honest here, folks. We were outgunned. Denver Nuggets are just a well-oiled machine right now. And in one of our last recaps, I had basically said they had the entire season to flesh out all of their bad tidings and find out what kind of team they were going to be going into the playoffs. And they had solidified that number one seed early. So we did see a lot of their guys sitting, but when you have the entire season to work together and find out what is really going to put you in a successful place, you see what happens. And, Oh, I'm, I'm just, I'm right there with you. I wish him the best. It is just a tough situation specifically because of the new ownership change with Matt Ishbia. You also have to think about 
what happened before Ishbia came in with the allegations with Robert Sarver and just the general stench that was around the organization. And I don't know. I mean, maybe it was an easy decision for Matt Ishbia to move forward and basically say, you know what, we're still trying to set the precedence for this franchise. We're trying to put us in a positive light. And I'm not saying that Monty Williams ever had truly a negative light in terms of, you know, national presence or, you know, the people that he interacted with. Like you said, I know he was a great players coach, but, you know, Matt Ishbia is taking his $4 billion investment and pushing it into the way that he wants to. And Monty Williams just wasn't that guy. And I think we're going to start seeing a lot of other pieces, including players this offseason, moving around as well because they're not part of the culture that he wants to set forward. But, uh, man, imagine if we lost to the Clippers. It would have been less than 24 hours before Monty Williams was fired. He might not even have been let on the team playing. They might have just left him uh, at Staples or what is it, Crypto.com Arena now? It'll always be Staples Center. I it's like always going to be Staples Center. Yep, exactly. It's just the same way as Chase Field. I still always think of it as Bank One Ballpark. Oh, yeah. It'll always be the Bob to me. But, you know, now we're seeing that reports are basically stating that Ishbia has taken over basketball operations and almost taken it away from James Jones. And we've started to see some more conversations in regards to that. But I want to dive into kind of the initial things that we've been hearing in regards to the Suns coaching vacancy and where this team is looking to head possibly. And if you've been tapped in with this team, you know, there's probably been three guys at the top of the list that we've been hearing. Uh, Mike Budenholzer from the Milwaukee Bucks is on that list. Nick Nurse, who was with the Toronto Raptors, was also on that list. And the heavy hitter that people are really, really excited about and crossing their fingers is the Clippers' Ty Lu. Now, obviously, we've already heard that uh, Frank Lawrence from the Clippers has said, we want to bring Ty back. And I believe that Ty Lu met with the front office this week to talk about his future and possible extension. And with the trade of Kevin Durant, the Suns have handcuffed themselves in regards to any kind of draft capital that they can really trade away to possibly get a head coach who is still under contract. So that would be something that would have to get done. But before we dive into some of these other names, Chris, out of those three, who would you like to see become the Phoenix Suns head coach? Man, I think I'm with the people. Uh, if I had my choice and could pick, it would be Ty Lue. Man, I say what you will about him, but he took um, Russell Westbrook, who seemed to be on his way out of the league, looking old, looking like he didn't belong here anymore, to making him a crucial part of that Clippers team and a reason they fought so hard and got to the playoffs and to the point there they did where they even they took a couple from from the Suns there. It, it just shows that he's a smart basketball guy. He was a former player, so he has that going for him where he can understand the players' perspectives. And I just think, like I said, I think he's a really smart guy. He won a championship with the Cavaliers and had multiple finals appearances with them, I believe, two or three. So he has the experience. He has the knowledge. It's just on paper, I think, a perfect fit. My second choice, probably Nick Nurse. Um, it doesn't seem like the Suns are spoiled for options right now, unfortunately. Uh, absolutely not Mike Budenholzer, though. Absolutely not. 
I know a lot of people have been saying, if you bring in Mike Budenholzer, you're going to get the same kind of reactions from Suns fans for the negative aspects of Monty Williams. He's going to struggle to figure out when to take timeouts to stop runs. He's going to struggle to find out what kind of rotations are the right fits. <laughs> so I'm right there with you on that. But I do want to look at some of these other names we've been seeing. Uh, there's reports that the Suns are looking to interview three different assistants. Uh, the Bucks, Charles Lee. The Kings, Jordy Fernandez. And the Grizzlies, Darko Raj... Oh, man, do I say this right? Raj <laughs> Rajakovic. Rajakovic. Uh, but anyways, Lee, he spent nine seasons with Budenholzer in both Atlanta and Milwaukee. Uh, Fernandez was a lead assistant with Mike Brown in the Kings this past season. But he spent the previous six seasons with Mike Malone in Denver. And then Darko, he was on Monty's staff during the 1920 uh, campaign. So there are some Suns ties there. And we are hearing that the Suns' current associate head coach, Kevin Young, uh, who was moved up in 2021 after Willie Green left, uh, they're interested in talking to him and seeing if he might be a possible candidate as well. He coached in the G League from uh, 2010 to 2016. Then he spent five years as an assistant in Philly before coming over to Phoenix. So Chris, any of those guys catching your ears or your eyes, any kind of interest out of those? Not really. I mean, like I, like I was saying, we, it doesn't seem like there's a very rich market for head coaches out there. Honestly, I haven't heard about any of those guys. So you just brought me up to speed on, on that list of names. I'm just very hesitant to hire a first-time head coach with the position I feel like we're in right now. I mean, we have a very short window with Kevin Durant, and especially if we decide to bring Chris Paul back, or I don't even know if it's our choice really. Those guys are getting old, man. We probably only have one, maybe two solid years from those two guys. Kevin Durant, I feel like, could go either way. He could probably squeak out three to five more if he really wanted to. But yeah, man, I just don't know. I'm very nervous to to take on an assistant coach and give him all that responsibility. I want a proven guy in here right now. I mean, it almost when you were listing off assistant coaches there, I had flashbacks to Monty's predecessor, Igor Kokoshkov, and we all know how that ended. I mean, it seemed again, it seemed great on paper. He was an assistant here and there and on all these different staffs, but when he was finally handed the clipboard, we, we all saw what happened. Granted, different team, different time, but it just obviously he was a one and done coach. It didn't work. So it's not to say that the same is going to happen for those guys either. I mean, obviously everyone has to get their start and their first chance somewhere, but I just, ugh, I don't want it to be here. Not right now. Not at this time. The window of opportunity is right now. I am a hundred percent with you. So we got to have somebody who has a proven track record of working with high profile guys within this league and when you work with higher profile guys you have to be able to juggle their personalities as well and unfortunately i think that was something that monty struggled with down the stretch i mean you can even go back to before the season started where monty and da basically went dark and weren't talking with each other and i think that definitely trickled into this season and you could just tell down the stretch in that playoff run I think DA was kind of done with it. So we'll see which way they move. And we're going to get into the players here in just a second. But I do want to make sure that we stay within the front office aspect because when there's expectations from a head coach, I'm sure there's expectations from a GM who 
unfortunately, when it comes to James Jones, did not build a strong enough roster this season, specifically for the bench unit and guys ready to step up for the playoffs, unfortunately. And you got to think, I mean, James Jones, he signed a multi-year extension at the beginning of 2022, and then they named him the basketball uh, the president of basketball operations and GM in November of 2022. But now we're hearing some people talking about possibly coaxing away Bob Myers, the GM for the Golden State Warriors. And I think that's an interesting take. But at the same time, I'm really on the fence about really changing the entirety of this front office and not having any semblance of cohesiveness with just within some aspect of this team, especially when you have two high prolific guys in Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, and this offseason should be able to work itself out with some guys taking mid-level exceptions or veteran minimums who can really come in and make a difference for a playoff push and hopefully a title run. But Chris, I mean, have you heard that news about possibly Bob Myers being coaxed away from the Golden State Warriors? And how are you feeling about that? Yeah, I did. I think, I don't know how recently that news broke, but I did hear about that earlier today. And at first I was kind of like, why? I didn't really, really, didn't really connect the dots. But the more I kind of looked into it, you know, people are pointing out, obviously KD was in Golden State for a little while. And there's a connection there where it sounds like they probably had a good relationship. Of course, the argument of, Bob Myers building that team around Steph and making all those changes that resulted in multiple championships. Uh, but from what I've seen, I mean, he, he is a wheeler and dealer, man. I mean, there was that whole D'Angelo Russell saga and then they traded him and there, there were moves made. So it's not just his draft prowess. It's also his ability to make moves in the off season, which I totally agree with what you said about James Jones. And, and that was a big criticism of ours last off season where his, I think his only two signings, correct me if I'm wrong, were Josh Akogi and Damian Lee, at least of note. <laughs> of note, and Jock Landau. And Jock, okay. So, so I mean, Jock, Jock came in and did what he did. I think he'll be a fine bench player. I don't know if Jock necessarily should be a guy that's consistently in the rotation. If he's our backup center, I'm not going to be too upset about it. But at the end of the day, I mean, not to get too off course here, Bob Myers could be interesting. I obviously... Matt Ishbia has every right to come in here and make changes, but I just worry about him overplaying his hand a little bit. And I feel like he's going to start walking a fine line of almost being in that Robert Sarver era of being too involved as an owner. I mean, that was one of our big criticisms of Sarver is that he was too involved with the team's day-to-day operations and really needed to step back and let the guys he hired do what they were hired to do. And I think also it's funny, Arizona sports, that was also a criticism we've recently had of Michael Bidwell too. So I know we've talked about it. If, if you're an owner of a team, especially like you said, $4 billion investment, you want to know what's going on. You want to be invested in, in your product. But again, I think it's a fine line and maybe James Jones needs to go. He's been here for a while and he has done a lot of good for this team. I mean, look at where we are now as opposed to where we were five years ago, 10 years ago. And that can't be understated. So I think if he was going to get the boot, he probably would have by now. I imagine him and Ishbia have had talks. Um, at this point, I feel like if if James Jones was to leave the team, it'd probably be one of those like mutually parted ways type of situation situations. But the fact that he hasn't been yet gives me 
a reason to believe that he's not going anywhere for the near future. And I think that's the right move. I think if you can keep James Jones, have him involved in the hiring process of a new head coach and see what we can do over the next season or two. And I mean, if we get blown out in an elimination game in the playoffs next season, then you just fire everybody and you, you trade everybody but Booker and Durant. Another different conversation for another time, but I'm with you, man. I mean, poor guy. He's, him and Monty Williams helped change the culture of the Phoenix Suns after a decade of darkness. So we have to give them their props. And poor guy had to give the call to Monty Williams to say, hey, sorry, buddy, but you got the boot. Uh, I think Monty was already in San Antonio, so he didn't have to do it face to face. But Oh, lots of conversations and a lot more points to talk about over the next couple of months, Chris. We don't want to take up everything just to start. We're going to have plenty of time to dive into the players aspect of this team. What's going to happen with DeAndre Ayton? Will the Suns possibly look to make a move and get him out of town to get some kind of capital back? Will the Suns actually re-sign Chris Paul. I know Chris Haynes came out with that report saying that they probably will sign him, but is that to sign him to be able to trade him? We don't know. It's so early and it's so early because the NBA playoffs are still going on. So I think it's that time to transition and we got to look at these conference finals that are going on. On the East, we have the Miami Heat facing off against the Boston Celtics. And as you said tonight, we saw game two from the Los Angeles Lakers and the Denver Nuggets, where the Nuggets did come back to win that game 108 to 103. But before we dive into the Western Conference, I want to start with the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat in game one that we saw last night, where the Heat stormed into Boston and took game one 123 to 116 behind an epic performance from Jimmy Butler. Once again, he's having a playoff run of the ages. 35 points, seven assists, five rebounds, and six steals. You had contributions from Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, Caleb Martin, and Kyle Lowry. They all dropped 15. Jalen Brown was kind of quiet with 22 points. And Jason Tatum, he did score 30, but he was quiet from the field in that fourth quarter. But Chris, I want to pass it over to you. How are you feeling about the Eastern Conference Finals right now? And who are you leaning towards? Man, that has been a wild ride for sure. I thought, especially after the last round, that we were just going to write the Celtics into the finals and wait for whoever came out of the West to meet them there. But after last night, I'm not so sure. And the Cinderella story of the Miami Heat team this year is just kind of fun, man. I'm here for it. Honestly, Jimmy Butler is playing out of his mind. He's earned the the moniker Himmy Butler. He is him, Jimmy. Um, man, I got, although we were playing our own game at that time, I got to peek at Ray's tablet a little bit as he was streaming the game on the sideline. And I, from the little bit I did watch of that game, it looked like, uh, Tatum and the Celtics were kind of falling apart a little bit at the end. Jason Tatum, I think had two turnovers off traveling calls, one where he kind of drug his foot, another one where he did like tried to pump fake, but ended up doing a little bunny hop. And it's just things like that down the stretch, man, are going to unravel a team and, Kind of makes me wonder if uh, Jalen Brown might have cursed him a bit with his uh, comments he made about it was Jalen Brown, right? About not one, not two, but five, four championships in the next six years or something like that. Yeah, but you can't just blame 
Jalen Brown. That's the Taylor Rooks effect. Remember, we've already we've already been oh, yeah. down this road. She's the one who got Ja Morant to be saying that he's fine in the West. And obviously, Ja Morant's not fine in the West. Ja Morant's not fine in a lot of aspects of his life. But we're, we'll leave that one for another time. But who are you leaning? So are, are you oh. going with the Heat? Are you thinking that they're going to be able to keep this magical ride going? I mean, the eight oh. seed making the NBA Finals? It, it's hard to imagine, but they did just steal one on the road. And we kept saying it's not a series until a team wins one on the road. And to do that in game one gives you a reason to believe that it is possible. I think this one could go seven, though. Uh, honestly, I still kind of believe in the Celtics. I think they have shown the ability to get it together. They did have a couple missteps in their series against the Sixers and ultimately came back and pulled that one out as well. But I think the the Heat just have that willpower, man. They they have the ability to show up and play hard and not expect anything to be handed to them. And I think the Celtics might have just gotten punched in the mouth in game one, maybe underestimating the Heat a little bit, looking at the the breakdown of the one versus the eight seed and just thinking like, yeah, we just got to show up, we got a ball and we'll win this one. But now... I would hope that they understand that this is going to be a fight and that they're going to have to show up night in and night out and play their hardest. And if they do that, I still think the Celtics are the more talented team and and bound for the finals. But we'll, we'll see, man. I, like I said, I think it's going to go seven. I think it's going to be a great series. I just wonder how much of that energy was expent for the Boston Celtics having to come back from down 3-2 to the Philadelphia 76ers. I mean, that's a lot of just mental fortitude that you have to go through in order to win a series like that being down obviously they did have home court advantage so that always helps but they could have just been lackadaisical after expending all that energy in that past series and come out flat at home in game one obviously it's not something that you like to see (laughs) um and man miami there's just something about it right now it's almost like i'm getting hints of those that yukon run with kemba walker right now it's just crazy but i'm not counting the celtics out i think they're going to be able to come back in game two and and like you said i think this is going to be another long series because jimmy butler is just in another world right now and if he has his way and continues to just play at an incredible pace with all the energy and effort that he has he's not going to let these guys go down without a fight so definitely excited to see what happens from that series but with that being said We got to move back to the West. Unfortunately, for both of these teams, I think the Denver Nuggets are starting to go into that nemesis category for us. They're just too good. And we will always have ill feelings towards the Los Angeles Lakers. I'm sorry. I know I have plenty of friends who are Lakers fans. But that's just how it is, man. Phoenix Suns fans, we don't like you. And we're not going to like you. But the Denver Nuggets come out and start this series the way that you're supposed to and you win both games at home we saw them take game one 132 to 126 Jokic had an all-timer once again what haven't we seen from this guy in the playoffs 34 points 21 rebounds 14 assists at that point it was his sixth triple double of the playoffs and Anthony Davis was no slouch he had 40 points and the Lakers had a furious fourth quarter comeback which after talking to a lot of our Lakers friends, they had really good feelings after that one. And I would have too at the same time. But then tonight, 
after having a 10-point lead pretty much most of the game, the Lakers collapsed in the fourth quarter behind a huge showing from Jamal Murray, who struggled from the field mightily throughout this game, but had a huge fourth quarter. He had 37 points. And then we see another triple-double from Nikola Jokic. It's uh, just, what do you say at this point? So, Chris, how are you feeling about this one? Which way are you leaning? Nuggets or Lakers? Nuggets in five, man. Honestly, I think the NBA has an unwritten rule where a player isn't allowed to win the MVP three years in a row. We saw Steve Nash get snubbed when he arguably had his best of his three seasons in a row and not win MVP. Of course, a lot of people say, I think Kobe won it that year. Maybe someone else doesn't matter. But Nikola Jokic is playing out of his damn mind. I mean, how do you quietly put up numbers like that if you can say that? I mean, I feel like the internet didn't go as crazy as I feel like they would have if LeBron put up 34, 20, and 14 or whatever those crazy numbers were. Like, that is just absolutely insane. Jokic is dominant. And maybe it's because I got to witness it firsthand when he was whooping up on the Phoenix Suns. But again, and maybe it's because Denver's kind of a small market. Like, if he was doing this in Los Angeles or New York, maybe it would be plastered all over billboards and he'd have giant murals on the side of skyscrapers. But just absolutely crazy. And not to mention Jamal Murray going off. It seems like he's having 20 to 30 points every night on his own. And they run a tight eight, nine-man rotation if someone gets in foul trouble which is just incredible to watch, really. I mean, Mike, shout out Mike Malone, man. I, I'm i not a big fan of his, but the way he's putting this team in positions to be successful, I mean, it's something to be envious of. I think I don't, I don't think I answered your question at all, but I, I'm saying I think the Nuggets have this one. I, I think the Lakers are looking a little banged up. LeBron's looking a little old. He was showing his age tonight at times, but it could be interesting. I mean, the games have been a little closer than I think I expected. I was thinking 10, 20-point blowouts were coming down the pipe for, for the Lakers, and they've kept it pretty close. Um, I mean, of course, disastrous start to the, the first game in game one, but they fought back hard and clearly came with a game plan tonight, uh, ultimately coming up a little bit short, letting the Nuggets go on a run, uh, and, that, and that's just going to happen. But honestly, I my prediction is uh, Nuggets in five. Could see it going six, though. Yeah, you answered my question. You started off right away. You said Nuggets in five. So you hit it right right off the bat. But, yeah, touching on Mike Malone, I mean, after he basically called Matt Ishbia just some guy off on the side, you got Suns fans feeling a little bit of a type of way. But he's got those guys dialed in, and he runs a tight ship exactly like you said. And these role players are starting to figure it out and really step up for them as well. Like you said, they run an eight-man rotation. They have the rookie Christian Braun coming in, old reliable Jeff Green, who just seems to go from place to place for playoff contenders and helps them make deep runs. And then you got Bruce Brown, who I think has been very underrated and has been a key for this Denver Nuggets team. We did see Reggie Jackson come out of nowhere tonight. He didn't get any minutes. I don't think he really played that much. But it'd be interesting to see if he gets a little bit more run. But, you know, I'm getting shades of what happened with that Suns game, Chris. I mean, I know the Lakers did come back in the, in game one. They were down by 20 in the first half. Unfortunately, all the Suns' losses were by double digits, and they just kind of got uh, pushed around, unfortunately. But in game two, 
last series, that was the one that I felt like the Suns needed to have, and they had that opportunity before Chris Paul gets hurt. You're not going to put it all on that. You can't. The Suns faltered down the stretch. But for the Lakers to be controlling this game primarily for throughout the first three quarters and then to fall flat, I think the Nuggets started 20-5 to five in that fourth quarter, and then it's just an uphill battle from there. Those are the ones that sting because you want to try and get one of those ones on the road early instead of having to go back there for a game five or game seven to keep your playoff hopes alive, basically. Oh, that's going to be another fun one to watch, man. I just, this is the best time of year because it's the best teams, it's the best basketball being played, and guys yep. literally just leave it all out on the floor. And with that being said, we got to roll into outlet point guard and we got to dive into the two guys who have just been absolute master classes in the playoffs so so far and it's Nikola Jokic and Jimmy Butler so Chris if you can pull that up we can kind of take a look at what these guys have been doing to these poor poor teams in these uh, playoff runs here but, yeah what do you say we just watch through these clips real quick then we'll break it down yeah 100 percent. I mean we know Jokic he has incredible vision for a big man he slow plays. He just is able to get to his spots whenever he wants to. And when you're going, you're going. And it can't. And it's not just one game. If the way that he's been playing throughout these entire playoffs, it's it's not surprising that you're going to get some of those miracle shots to go for you. And then with Jimmy Butler, he's just become old reliable. I'd like to say he consistently knows how to control his body. He he is an unselfish guy who hustles at all times. And then here's another one, man. When it's going, it's going. Almost a, uh, almost a triple team shown at him, and he hits a fading shot off of the right shoulder, which is awkward as hell to start with. But let's go ahead and roll it back up from the top. And these first three players are from Nikola Jokic, Chris. So I'll go ahead and pass it over to you to you know, take a look and see what you're seeing from the big man here. It just it just shows that he's always looking to make the easiest bucket, the smartest play possible. Doesn't even hesitate to make that pass. Where I feel like some guys in his position would have just gone to the hoop, tried to put it up. I mean, he has them beat. Probably could have made a nice, easy left-handed layup there for him anyway over the smaller defender. But instead, sees his guy cut in baseline. This could even be a designed play, honestly. Screen, screen, roll, and then perfect execution for an easy dunk. So. Honestly, just world-class, man. One Shows why he's the best, shows why he's a two-time, and honestly, why he could potentially be finals-bound and leading his team. His vision is truly unmatched, and it's not even just from being a big man. It's he wants to be a facilitator, right? I mean, he can go out there and drop 53 on your head, but he's always looking to put his teammates into the best position. I mean, during this playoff run, Jokic is averaging 31 points, 13 and a half rebounds, 10 assists on 56% shooting. He's just having an incredible playoff run to start. And, you know, now that the Nuggets are up 2-0, they're in a good spot to go to L.A. And, and sneak out one of those. But in regards to this play, I like that it's basically a double screen set right there. And I would say that this is probably a design play. You know, you have Caldwell Plot setting a high screen. Jokic sets another one for him uh, while Anthony Edwards is rolling through. And then 
the Joker is smart enough to see that he has the ability to basically flash through and not really set that second one because of all that space opening. And just to have the hands to get that pass with one hand and nice and smoothly get it to a cutting Jeff Green. I mean, Chris, could you see DeAndre Ayton doing that? I don't want to make it a dump on DeAndre Ayton show, but there's just... For big men to have those kind of capabilities, it truly is a remarkable thing to see. To answer your question, hell no. I don't think <laughs> I would ever see anything like this from DeAndre Ayton. He, I, I mean, and I don't want this to be a, a rag on DeAndre Ayton session, but he just seems to fumble and bumble his way through the lane. And honestly, DA would have shot a floater right there. Would have never mm. looked at his guy, would have not taken it to the rim. And it's just, Jokic doesn't even hesitate, man. He knew what he wanted to do the whole time. He's already looking. He already sees his guy on the baseline, just waiting for him to cut. Doesn't put the ball on the ground. Doesn't even look at the hoop. Is already looking to execute on the play. And I just, I could never think of, I mean, hopefully DA gets there one day if he's a son, but I, I don't see it. I don't see if it. he's a son, yeah. All right. And unfortunately, speaking of the sons, if you go into this next play, I believe this was from game four where he had his 53-point outburst. And this was just a saucy play, man. This is that slow slow it down, get into your dribble, see where the action is coming. They don't bite. Kevin Durant doesn't hedge fast enough on that double team. So he sees the space and literally just hits you with that one-two step through for an easy drive and layup finish. I mean, one of his underrated things that you have to talk about as well is just his touch around the rim. I mean, he has those floaters. He has those hooks and he consistently gives himself second chance opportunities just from his sheer size, but being a smart basketball player and understanding angles to rebound as well. You're muted, Chris. I'm muted, but it's the hesit for me. It's the hesitation right here. Come the guy coming up high, catches him sleeping, and then just oh, excuse me, pardon me, coming through and makes a nice easy. I mean, for him it's easy anyway. A little right-handed layup off the glass and in, and it's just it's just a cakewalk for him out there. It's just again a super smart play, seeing the floor, understanding where the defenders are, and caught him sleeping. Caught him sleeping. That's a hundred percent it. Oh, and to be able to make that drive from the free throw line is impressive as well. But when it's going, it's going, man. So in game one, we already saw that <laughs> the Lakers did make a furious comeback in the fourth quarter. But when you're going and you just have a little uh, sidestep shimmy for a 29-footer in Anthony Davis's mouth, you saw Anthony Davis hit him with a little bit of a chuckle. Like, come on, dude. You know that's not supposed to be going on right now, right? Just ridiculous. And, like, it it doesn't look pretty. <laughs> that guy was on some other stuff. Dude, no kidding, D. I mean, just, oh, my goodness, just so ugly. But then the shot is so falls so pretty. Like, that, I'm pretty sure the shot goes up and off the camera's radar and then drops back in from outer space, yep. Yeah, <laughs> for a split second, yep. <laughs> My favorite thing about this play, too, is that when the ball is inbounded and he gets it back from Murray, his first thought and reaction is looking at Bruce Brown, like, why did he cut away? 
because he's unselfish. He's looking to get his other teammates involved first because he thought that maybe he would have been able to fire a pass in there if Bruce Brown just continues to cut up the middle. Mm. I mean, that's a very tight window, but we've seen him do that plenty of times. But he's not even looking for his for his own option first, even with five seconds left on the clock. And then he's just basically like, okay, well, I guess I'll do it this time. And <laughs> just throws up a prayer. And, and just the, the non-reaction there. I mean, it's just like another day at the office for him. He's just like, meh. All right, got to get ready for the fourth quarter. Guess I just drilled a 29-footer right in Anthony Davis's face. It's just a <laughs> just a Tuesday night for me. Like another day in the park, right? Well, Nikola Jokic, he's on a mission. Like you said, he didn't get the three-peat, so he's ready to show it. And for his sake, he's hoping to take this Denver Nuggets to a place that they've never been, which is the NBA Finals. So it's going to be a fun one to see how he finishes off this series against the L.A. Lakers. But we got to roll into the guy who is on the thumbnail. He has been called Himmy Butler now, and I think it is appropriate because this man is just putting the Miami Heat on his back. I mean, you have to think about where this Heat team was. They finished the season 44-38. and 38. And Chris, they had to play in two playing games. They almost didn't make the whole dance. Crazy. And now this guy is just showing what he has shown the past couple of years. But he's starting to get that moniker as a big-time playoff player. So I want to pass it over to you and let us know what you're seeing here from Jimmy Butler. Yeah, I mean, specifically on this play, I feel like this is kind of along the lines of what Josh Giddy gets a lot of flack for is like you don't need a bag to do a left-handed dribble into the lane and make a left-handed layup but what you do need is sheer toughness and determination to be able to finish with is that Brooke Lopez draped all over him mm -hmm. and, and just going up against a guy who's I think 6'10 6'11 like Brooke Lopez isn't a little guy and I know Jimmy Butler is not a little guy in his own right but just just crazy man just just a normal screen, not even a good screen by Kevin Love, if we're being honest. He did the bare minimum there. And <laughs> he didn't even set on him. Yeah. <laughs> like, Chris Middleton's just like, oh, I guess. Like, I think Chris Middleton was surprised that the screen was so garbage because he just, just didn't keep up with Jimmy. And the help was kind of there, but not really. But so, I mean, a lot of credit to Jimmy Butler to just, like I said, the toughness to and fearlessness to go up and finish that play. I mean, you see a lot of this from Jimmy Butler, man. You do. And my favorite thing about him is when he attacks, he's just so smart about body contact and creating the space off of drives. I mean, we see it plenty of times where he might get a one-on-one -on -one matchup with a guy who's a little bit taller than him, like a Chris Middleton. And it's not even on a drive. It's just setting him on the block. And he is able to kind of get to a position where he wants to, slow plays it, creates a little bit of body contact and then gives himself that space to go off the glass or take a nice little floater. I mean, Jimmy Butler can get to his own shot when he wants to, but I feel like this is where he is the most successful, getting him in action, getting him rolling downhill because he's so strong finishing at the basket and he doesn't shy away from contact ever. Like specifically, you could say within this play, yeah, I think... Brooke Lopez was probably a little bit surprised about 
that Kevin Love screen not setting really hard there, but you also have to commit high. You know, there's it's probably a breakdown in communication because we know Kevin Love's a good shooter. And if Chris Middleton is going to be on the chase, I'd rather him just step back out on Kevin Love and take Brooke Lopez one-on-one with Jimmy Butler straight up. I mean, obviously, it's it's a no-win situation, but maybe you can contest a little bit more with your length instead of on the chase. Yeah, But the, go ahead. I was just going to cut in real quick. The more I watch this play, the more I wonder what Brooke Lopez was thinking. Like, why did he – was yeah, maybe just a quick miscommunication. Was he going to jump back out on Kevin Love? I think that has to be his thought process is thinking that Middleton would stick with him and he'd step back out on Kevin Love, but quickly realizing Middleton was beat and having to get back. But you're absolutely right. Middleton should have popped out on Love, and Brooke Lopez probably could have cut off Butler there and at least maybe put him at the free throw line. Right. But that I think that also has to do with, you know, it does look like Middleton is going to be right on the chase on his hip, but Jimmy Butler uses that good pace and that hesitation to hit you with the left hand roll right around and basically be at the cup before you even can blink. So that's just a tough situation for anybody. But if we roll into this next one, I mean, my favorite thing about Jimmy Butler is he just never gives up. He's always fighting until the last last ditch effort, basically within any play. I mean, that is a tough pass to get to Bam Adebayo right there. And I know he's getting contested uh, by Williams right there, Robert Williams. And I'd love to see Bam Adebayo hit that a little bit more often than he has been. But, you know, Marcus Smart is no slouch on the defensive end. For him to just roll through him and get right where he needs to, that's just all heart and hustle. Right, Chris? Yeah, no, absolutely, hundred percent. And the the sheer will and tenacity. I mean, I can I can bust out all the adjectives for Jimmy Butler, man, because he really exemplifies what it means to play hard. And watching this, I laugh because I'm thinking we got to show this clip to DeAndre Ayton over and over again because he would just be standing. I know you can't see me pointing at my screen, but he would just be standing right where Jimmy Butler is, right here, watching watching the ball, watching the ball. And look, Jimmy Butler already he he. He doesn't know if that shot's going to go in or not. How could he know? But he's going to be there to clean it up if it needs to be cleaned up. And sure as shit, that ended up being the case. And he got a a hard-fought two points at it where, again, not to rag on DA too much, but he would have just stayed standing there on the baseline waiting to, I don't know, hustle back. Ah, Beats me, man. But I think it's too late now, Chris. It has become the DA ragtime show. (laughs) But, I mean, it's just unmatched energy that he has. And when it comes down to the playoffs, man, I mean, he is just the epitome of a guy who's going to leave everything out on the floor. And that's what you need in your leader. And when you do that and you're successful on both ends of the floor, you see shots like these where the triple almost gets set. You see Josh Hart does flash back out to Kyle Lowry. But that is – Almost an impossible shot right there, Chris. Like, he is almost, almost 90 degrees away from the basket when he turns to get that shot. But he's still strong enough to take that contact and turn his body back into that, that, that right rotation for his shot. So when it's going, like we said with Jokic, man, when it's going, it's going. Yeah, just a tough bucket. And, I, you know, I'm a little conflicted with this clip because I hate – this 
trend in the NBA right now where you pump fake, get a guy off his feet, and then drop the shoulder into him and take your shot trying to bait and and one. Um, I mean, it was, I, but it was a foul. I mean, to be honest, that should have been an and one. If you're going to be consistent, if it's not written in the rules, like take advantage. Why not? And I think not to get too off topic, but I think the NBA is probably going to look at addressing that this off season, but just, just ridiculous. Like you said, almost drawing the triple team, basically a double team there, but it doesn't matter. He's going to, again, have the will and determination to finish and score any, by any means necessary. And that's why Jimmy is him. That's why that he is Hemi Butler now. <laughs> the moniker is probably going to stick, especially if they make it to the NBA finals, man. I mean, these two guys, you have to give him props. As much as we don't want to give Nikola Jokic props because he kicks the Suns out of the playoffs, you just have to be a realist when it comes down to talking about who has been playing at an incredible at an incredible level during these NBA playoffs. And I think it's been a great playoff so far. I can't wait to see what happens next and who makes the finals. I don't really have a rooting interest either than no Lakers. Sorry, Raymond. Sorry, Jay. Sorry, everybody. But that's where my allegiances lie. So I'm very excited to see what happens next. But Chris, I think it's that time. It's time for our final segment, Reddit Reacts. So I'm going in blind once again. So what do you got for us today? Oh, man, I love scouring Reddit. It's an interesting group of fans. Sometimes I don't know what I'm trying to say here. Sometimes delusional. I couldn't think of another point, but oftentimes delusional, but also can be hilarious. So what I did, we know that the NBA draft lottery happened, I think, earlier this week, and we saw the San Antonio Spurs get blessed with the number one pick in the Victor Wembenyama sweepstakes. So I went and found a few of these posts that were draft related and then i got a few uh sons ones of course i uh, got a show out for the home team so this first one here let's take a look it's a classic batman and robin meme and it says there's two types of pistons fans right now we still have good options for bam batman says shut up and it, i i chose this one specifically because it really reminded me of the uh zion williams draft lottery when the, the Suns were were right up there in the conversation to potentially land that number one pick. And uh, shoot, I can't even uh, think off the top of my head who we did end up taking in that draft. I think we kind of slipped a little bit further down than we, than we anticipated, but got a feel for the Pistons, man. They haven't been a, a worthy franchise in quite some time. Very, very tough look, man. I mean, they had the worst record in the league. I think they only won 17 games basically we're at the top of the lottery choice to win it and they end up dropping to five how does that happen i can't believe it i mean and they were already cursed with Cade cunningham going down for pretty much the entirety of this year as well they're in a tough spot man they're in the they're in the dog days like the suns were a decade ago so you feel for them i i'll shed a tear for you Pistons fans, that's I'll shed a tear for you. Just one, just one. We can't feel just bad one. for the Pistons for too long. It's <laughs> got another one here for you. This one um, is a bit of a deep cut. This comes from the San Antonio Spurs subreddit. And so we might have to do a little explaining here for the folks at home. But it's uh, 
I'm not going to say that user's name. Uh, if you're watching the video, you can go ahead and read it there. <laughs> um, but this is on r slash NBA Spurs. And it's what an impressive domino effect. It starts with Zaza Pachulia, then Josh Primo flashing his junk, and then the Spurs getting the number one draft pick. I, I had to do a little research, I'll be honest, to kind of refresh my memory. Uh, the Zaza Pachulia reference is when he was closing out on Kawhi Leonard and uh, Kawhi came down on him and was out for the rest of the playoffs. And then uh, Josh Primo um, was exposing himself to women uh, when he wasn't invited to do so. Uh, ultimately ended up being released from the team. I don't know where Josh Primo is today. Hopefully doing better and making smarter decisions. Uh, but all of that had to happen so that the Spurs could get the number one pick in the 2023 NBA draft. And uh, maybe uh, Victor Wembenyama will be their savior. All while Greg Popovich is still kicking around. I cannot believe it. I mean, he's an all-time coach. Don't get me wrong. I understand. But I'm surprised he hasn't hung it up yet. Maybe there were some inner workings that he was, you know, Doing on the inside because of the ties with France and Victor Wemiyama and Tony Parker. We're not conspiracy theorists here, people, no. but maybe we are. I don't know. Seems but that's impressive, man. Convenient. That's impressive. I mean, going from an ultimate high, looking like that San Antonio Spurs team was going to be able to knock off the Golden State Warriors into the downfall that they've had over the past five years. You might be right, man. The big man might be their savior. I hope not, though. I hope not. Hopefully not. I mean, they they look good. They look well. They were surprised a little bit. I should say surprising two seasons ago when Dejounte Murray was still there and they were winning games that nobody thought they would. But uh, lucky, lucky to be a Spurs fan where your team is only bad for a few seasons and then you manage to turn it around. I mean, I know Webinyama hasn't played in the NBA yet, so we'll see. Uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about him some more, but let's go ahead. Let's take a look at this next one here. This last one that's uh draft related. Where is it at? Here we go. This is a good one. Um, shows again from the Spurs subreddit. It shows Pistons fans. Spurs can't get the number one pick after only tanking once. Then a Rockets fan going, no. And then the Spurs got Spurs guys down here. The Spurs chads one and done. Yes. In kind of reference to what we were just talking about, where they only have to be bad for one, two seasons, and then they get a nice, high, tall draft pick. And tall is an understatement in this case. And they could be right back in the in the conference, uh, top of the conference, making a playoff push. Oh, unbelievable, man. Truly unbelievable. Haven't they had enough graces over the past two decades? Like, let them be bad for a while. Like, please, come on. I don't think anybody truly cares that Greg Popovich is that great of a coach anymore. Like, we're, it's time to move on. But as far as the Pistons and the Rockets, man, talk about some dumpster fire franchises who have been bad for a long time now, it seems like. Obviously, the Pistons a little bit longer than the Rockets, but ever since James Harden left, they've just been trying to figure out their coaching situation. They've been bringing in these super, super young guys. And the, even their veteran presence within Eric Gordon is like, get me out of Dodge, man. I want to go somewhere where I can maybe try and win a little bit. But uh, it's make, it makes me sick, Chris. The Spurs are going to get Wimbanyama. Give me a friggin' break, dude. And we'll see. We'll see how he pans out. I'm skeptical about 
his uh, uh, physique. I, maybe that's not the right word. I just think tall, skinny guy. This is a league where people play tough. It's a, This isn't France. Um, I think he might need to get some meat on his bones if that's possible. Or uh, he might go the way of Chet Holmgren or maybe have a short career like Yao Ming. But that's a conversation for another day. Are you ready to look at a few uh, Suns posts and memes here, Mike? Oh, God. Our friends at Suns Reddit, I guess. We'll take a look at it. We love them because, you know, they love us. So I had to pull up this one first. This is honestly, I should have saved the best for last, but I'm going to pepper it in right here in the middle. This was my favorite of the Reddit reacts, full disclosure. This is a nice classic Phineas and Ferb meme, and it's a uh, Suns basketball baby. And the top picture says, if I had a nickel for every time my favorite team was blown out in an elimination game in embarrassing fashion by a white guy from Europe in the Western semis, I'd only have two nickels, which isn't a lot, but it's weird that it happened twice. <laughs> oh, and back to back as well. And I mean, both of those guys had dominating performances against the Phoenix Suns. Luka Doncic just, you know, going to be in the MVP conversation probably for the next at least seven to eight years. And Nikola Jokic on a mission right now. Oh. It's a tough look, man. But hey, at least we're not losing to the Lakers. <laughs> I'll bring it back to that. That, hey, Mike, appreciate you always finding the silver lining. Gotta find that silver <laughs> lining, man. I got a few more here for you just uh, as we're healing these wounds and uh, recovering from this, uh, this embarrassing, unceremonious end to our season. This one I did uh, throw into the last Suns recap we threw together, but I wanted to share it again just so everyone can see it and maybe understand a little bit why Monty Williams got canned. This is a classic one. I think this is from the Sonic movie where uh, Jim Carrey there is reaching for the button and it says, I don't know, maybe use time them timeouts, Monty. And the one button, the red button says, let Denver go on a 20-0 run. And the blue button says, call a timeout. And you see him there, he's excitedly going for the red button, which in this case would be let Denver go on a 20 point run, which happened a couple times in that, uh, in that series against Denver. And I, I just, I failed to understand what Monty's thought process was in that because it seems like coaching one-on-one -on -one is when you're the other team is going on a, on a run, you want to call a timeout, stop the momentum, regroup your guys. But instead Monty's like, nah, Stop the bleeding, I freaking beg of you. Uh, exactly. I mean, and it all stemmed from taking Kevin Durant out. At, and it early in the first quarter, like, that was just a bit confusing, especially within an elimination game. I know we had an uphill battle, but to just sit there and watch them go down by 20 points within the first quarter, it's like you're waving the white flag right there. And honestly, maybe they were, Chris. Like, they knew Chris Paul probably wasn't going to be back for game seven. From what it sounded like with the rib contusion that DeAndre Ayton had, he was struggling to breathe, so he probably wasn't going to play then as well. So it was going to be a miracle. But you can't take the timeouts with you. Stop the bleeding early. My goodness. Yeah, apparently nobody told Monty that he couldn't carry those over into the next game. I, I don't know if he was really thinking of a potential game seven. We need to stockpile as many timeouts as possible. But you're right. Can't take them with you. Got to use them. 
And so this last one uh, brought a bit of a tear to my eye. And I think it's going to be felt throughout the Valley for a little while. I'm glad that Kevin Durant's here, but boy, do I miss Mikhail Bridges and so does Wolverine. Uh, Mike, do you, do you miss Mikhail Bridges? Did you miss his defensive presence uh, in our playoff stretch this season? I did. I did. You know, his length for his size is truly remarkable. And, you know, when he went over to Brooklyn, we saw what he can do on the offensive end. I think that can still kind of correlate to what we saw with Monty Williams and just the offensive sets and the way that he wants to use guys. It's not maximizing their full potential. And, and it's not like I'm saying they only let Devin Booker cook, but sometimes it's like the action sets aren't, really enough for other guys to get into rhythm and Mikhail Bridges did start to have a breakout season before he was traded but that's also because once again we had nobody everyone was hurt so we had to rely on Mikhail to score 30 plus a night and it's kind of the same with his trade to Brooklyn I mean he is the man he's gonna have to produce and he's shown that he was able to Now, for his sake, I really hope that he continues to grow his offensive game. I still think he has levels to get to, and he's shown great progress so far. But you remember, Chris, when the Kevin Durant rumors first started last year, you know, early, early on, I was one of those guys that was a big proponent of try everything you possibly can to make that trade happen without getting rid of Mikhail Bridges. And I think before Matt Ishbia stepped in, that's why that deal was never done because James Jones and that front office was probably on that same boat and the same feeling that this kid's going to be a superstar in the future and had already, you know, second in voting in uh, for the defensive player of the year and was only going to continue to grow because he has that mindset to be a great player. So I miss him, Chris. I miss Cam too, but I'm okay with the top 15 all-time player as well. Yeah, it's it's a double-edged sword. I, it's almost like damned if you do, damned if you don't. Uh, obviously, we love Mikhail. You like you, you highlighted perfectly. I I totally echo what you're saying. He, what he's doing in Brooklyn right now, he, it's easy for Suns fans to say, "What if? Could he have continued that?" But I think. I'm okay with it. I think KD and Booker have a, a strong bond. He, we saw Devin Booker tweet out 36 unbothered in reference to him and KD kind of marching in lockstep. And I think give them the chance to play a full season together, go through this offseason. I'm sure James Jones, Ishbia, whoever's pulling the triggers and the levers or whatever is going to consult a veteran like Kevin Durant because he is one of the most respected basketball minds in the game on and off the court uh so let's give them some time let's not panic still got time that's all i'm gonna say (laughs) oh we got it off our chest chris and i'm sure we're gonna have some more to talk about we're gonna be doing our monthly recording of the heat check podcast coming up this weekend so we'll be hitting everybody with that this upcoming week a lot of things to keep an eye on we know ball never stops man There's a lot of moving pieces for this Phoenix Suns franchise, trying to find a new coach, trying to figure out what they're going to do with some of these pieces, what the NBA draft is going to look like in the offseason. 
And honestly, one of my favorite times of basketball is those those runs during the summer where all these superstars go to your favorite gyms and are just putting together a show uh, in the offseason, getting ready to move forward. But Chris, before we close this one out, is there anything else you got for the people? Not really, man. I'm really curious to see who is going to face off in the NBA Finals. I'm going to put it on wax now. I think it's going to be Celtics, Nuggets, and then crazy prediction with no not much thought behind it. I'm going to say Nuggets in six. Ooh. Damn, do I have to do predictions? You could. <sighs> okay. I got Nuggets coming out of the West. I'm not counting out the Celtics, but I just have that special feeling about the Miami Heat. I think they're going to be able to sneak sneak this one out and find a way to the NBA Finals as an eighth seed. But then I do think that the Denver Nuggets finally get their first NBA championship. Nikola Jokic, he's on a mission, and those guys are just rolling right now. But lots of basketball to still stay in tune with. So everybody, make sure you stay in touch with us. We'll keep bringing past the outlets to you every month. Basketball doesn't stop. So make sure you follow us at AZ underscore VSP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. You can find us right here on YouTube and Facebook, Valley Sports Plug. And this was Past the Outlet, Episode 11. I'm Michael Benjamin. That's Chris Patrick. We love y'all. And we'll see you next time. Peace. Phoenix Suns select. Three, two, one.